Chapter 21 Fall, Wuhan, Year 2, 2002-2013 We have been back in Wuhan for one week and have jumped back into work as if we were five weeks behind. This has meant late nights marking or preparing for the next day and then the usual early mornings, 5.30 for John, 6 for me. It is the weekend. My friend Bonnie and her husband Eve have come to stay with us, which is very exciting as these are the first people who have come to visit. They arrived from the UK to Hangzhou where Eve's son was getting married to a Chinese girl from there. Hangzhou is about an hour from Shanghai on the fast train, so they took the train to Shanghai for a couple of days and decided to come see us for one night. It is a five and a half hour journey on the fast train, and I offered to send a cab to meet them, but they insisted they'd be okay getting one from the station. Even so, I was worried the cab driver might not leave them at the right place, so we went out and waited for them on the corner. They get out of the cab looking a little tired, and Bonnie says, I must love you to come all this way for one night. We take them to our favorite restaurant and have an early night. It's Saturday, and our favorite driver, Xiao Qing, drives us to Yanchilu, Taylor Street, to show them the sewing places and the markets, which Bonnie wishes they had more time to explore, and the old part of Wuhan. We eat Thai food in Wuhan Tiandi, Hankou, which is a chic walking street, and they have to leave in an hour to make their way back to Shanghai, so we go for ice cream in Hagendas. It has been a quick visit but it was good to see them and felt so good to show them our Wuhan. Emily, an incredibly sweet, kind woman who teaches chemistry at the school, was rushed to the hospital with what they thought was appendicitis, but when they opened her up, they saw it was tubes that were blocked in her small intestine, so removed part of it and her large intestine. I think I mentioned last year that another teacher who broke his leg in a car accident ended up in the hospital, and even though the medical care is good, you have to have family come and stay with you or pay someone to bring food and or help you to go to the washroom if you need to. It is not part of the nurse's job description. We have been told that this is common in most of Asia, but it is scary to think that if you have no family or support and no money to hire somebody to come and help you, you're on your own. The Canadian staff from the school really stepped up to the plate in Emily's case. We had a rotor and took turns coming for a few hours at a time. Angel, who speaks Mandarin, and Eunice, who are her closest friends, go often and stay the night until her mother gets here from Canada. The hospital is not close, and it's not easy to get a cab back from there, so we ask Xiao Qing to take us and wait for us while we go for our visit. On the way there, we imagine her in some dingy, cold little room, but we arrive and she's in a VIP suite. 
which consists of two large rooms and a view of the river. The room with her bed has a couple of chairs and a couch for visitors to sit or sleep on, or a cot is wheeled in at night. There is another room with a flat-screen TV and couches and fridges and a microwave like a small apartment. Emily says she was in a hallway until Sandy, the vice principal's wife, who speaks Chinese and is very good at getting things done, got on the phone with the insurance people. While Emily is now in a comfortable place, she still looks a little weak from the operation. It's a good thing she has her friend Angel there translating with the nurses, as most do not speak English. It is a few days later, and we are back visiting Emily. We had to find her, as she has been moved back to a different building where the intensive care unit is, due to some post-op problems with the drip she had. I ask her how they got her here, and she laughs. She says they moved her in the bed out onto the street, crossing the road on the crosswalk while cars were waiting at the red light. This room is crowded. There are three patients and the person looking after each of them sitting on a small chair beside the bed. There are small bedside tables with pieces of fruit and personal items on them. Emily is in the middle bed between two Chinese women. Her mother, Susan, is here from Canada, looking after her. Both Emily and her mum say they are grateful for the wonderful medical care from the doctors and nurses here. Susan also says one of the husbands they are sharing the room with was really helpful showing her where to buy food, and other supplies. This positive outcome is really good to see for Emily, but we still pray that neither of us get sick over here. Even though we would probably eventually have the help of the Chinese staff from the school, neither of us want to be in the position of the teacher last year or the people we pass in beds in the drafty hallways. It's Saturday and the second weekend since we got back and we are working because it's sports day. It isn't really hard work to watch kids running, jumping, and throwing. They begin the festivities with a big show, like a parade, each class performing in front of the bandstand, and you would have thought it is the Olympics. There are frankly very few spectators, except those students who have already performed, and the entire school is in the parade. There is a wonderful display of Tai Chi complete with red fans and a Kung Fu exhibition where a student named James breaks up boards and a couple of teachers join in too. We watch the kids in various events and feel like surrogate mothers and fathers urging them on, congratulating them when they win and commiserating when they lose. It's a good chance to get to know some of the kids better. It is now Halloween, and I am wearing a cardboard mask, a piece of velvet for a cape, a furry white hat instead of an actual wig, and various bits of jewelry. Voila, I am the queen. I have been wearing gloves all day, and I wave to people saying, Hello, hello, 
when they look my way. My mask is flat, as it is really just a life-size photo of Queen Elizabeth's face with the eyes cut out, so it is a little spooky. The looks of fear, laughter, and curiosity I get are worth the fact that I can't breathe through my nose because it's squashed beneath the cardboard. It has been good fun. I just had my photo taken with Stalin, and we are looking for someone who may be Mao Zedong. There was another guy who looked like Hitler, had a German uniform on, so we thought that might be who it is. I keep forgetting no one can see what my face is doing, so it is pointless smiling back when people wave to me. It is midterm exams, and we have a tough schedule. A couple of the new teachers are finding it rough. Wasn't what they expected. We all need to let off steam, but they talk about it constantly. I tell them they are only hurting themselves with this resentment, and at the time, it is true. They can't seem to let go of it. Then it does start to affect other people in the office, me anyway. I feel bad for them that they don't like it here because I think they feel stuck, but it is a constant stream of negativity. China is not for everyone. The exam schedule doesn't help. It's more tiring walking around a room for two hours watching to see if anyone is cheating than teaching a class full of rowdy teenagers. Well, close, anyway. We have to invigilate other people's exams, so the week is spent doing that, preparing for our own exam to be written. In my case, I am a department of one, so had to make my own exam, including an answer key, listening part, grammar part, and a writing part. My kids write their exam last, on the last day, which means they will finish at 5 p.m. and I will mark them. Then we have to teach the next day. So apart from preparing for teaching, I will have 90 exams to mar mark. I am starting to get smart, though. Apart from the writing, I made sure almost all the rest was multiple choice. It is much easier to mark. I'm looking out our kitchen window, and I see her walking with her son after school. He is about 10 and goes to the foreign national school. They are always smiling and talking. I think about how brave she is to come to China as a single mother, and I vow to speak with her and offer babysitting services in case she wants to go out with all the party-goers at some point. Natasha and I strike up a conversation, and she says it gives her freedom, just knowing she could give Zach over to us at some point, but she really isn't into the party thing either. John offers to take Zach skating, and Natasha and I go with Margaret to get our toenails painted. I have mentioned Margaret before. She is my boss, the woman who, along with John, taught me how to be a teacher in two weeks. This is something I will miss when we are no longer here, getting my toenails done for the price of a day pass on Vancouver Transit. The girl who paints my toes a candy pink color also tries to teach me some Chinese. Natasha is in heaven. A little bit of freedom goes a long way. 
She's a very good mother and a lovely woman. Zach is an interesting boy, very good sense of humor and quite clever. They live on campus and we know we will hang out soon. Danny and Michelle are new this year. She is in my office, is also an ESL teacher and is a gentle, intelligent, lovely young woman. He is funny, full of interesting stories, and is in John's math office. They lost a few of the interesting characters in the math office, so Danny is a good addition. Going in there last year was like watching an episode of The Office, but much better. Danny is a character, so helps to bring back the extra edge they had. John says Danny eats throughout the day, almost without stopping, grazing. He has told us about some of his adventures in Asia and about his passion for deep-sea fishing, which has taken him on trips that sound like the old man in the sea. We are getting to know them, and they will come for dinner tomorrow with Emily and her mother. Quinn is a teacher who is new to Maple Leaf, but has been in China for a while and is married to a Chinese woman. He came to me the other day and said, I hear you had a band last year. I find out he has a degree in music, plays the piano and the guitar, and is up for doing some gigs. There's another guy, Ryan, who was here last year, and we never got to play together, so if either or both of these guys work out, we might have a new band. John volunteers for everything. As some of you know, he is always up for an adventure. So he is one of the few people who volunteered to go away and teach at a school in a city of 1.5 million next Friday. The only information he has is that he will teach three classes with some ESL-based material of his own choosing as a kind of goodwill gesture from our school to another. Seven teachers, some of whom did not volunteer but are part-time administrators, so had to fill in, are going. John tells me he wants to teach them line dancing, so he prepares his lesson around that. It's Friday evening, and he has just returned. I will let him tell the story. Field trip. A rainy Friday morning, and all seven of us piled into the van waiting near the school's security gate. Our driver spoke some English and smoked some cigarettes and drove a little crazy. We got on the San Juan Xi'an freeway right into morning rush hour in Wuhan and headed southeast out of the city and into the countryside. The highway was wonderful once we got out of the city, unlike the bumpy cratered freeway within the city limits of Wuhan. We drove for about an hour and a half through nothing but rice fields in rural China. I'm always amazed at how quickly a city ends in this country. You go from bustling, honking, bumper-to-bumper dodge traffic, pasted neatly into a backdrop of skyscrapers and high-rises under construction, to a sudden lack of everything urban. It is like there is an invisible wall surrounding the city put there to keep rural China out. This was my first taste of carpooling in China. It was kind of special to be on our way to a new teaching gig somewhere out there. 
I constructed the school property, the school building, the teaching staff, the students, and my classrooms in my mind as I stared out the window watching the miles roll away. Out of the quiet of the countryside exploded another urban setting, the city of Huangshu, one of China's many million-plus cities. We drove for some time through rain and cars and pedestrians until we finally arrived at number 18 middle school right smack dab in the middle of town. Compared to Wuhan Maple Leaf International School, this school sprawled upward instead of outward. The campus was confined and crammed into two or three city blocks with buildings constructed of dirty, dusty, whitewashed concrete. What else? The rain added to the dreariness of the school. We passed through the security gates and down a narrow back alley-like road to the main doors of the school. We followed our Chinese teacher guides up five flights of dingy, dark green concrete stairs to the school meeting boardroom where we met the school leader, the principal, and the English teacher. The English teacher, Mr. Wong, had been at the school since it opened 32 years ago, right after the washrooms had been cleaned for the last time. He had been teaching English that entire span, and in fact, for six or seven years prior to that as well. I can honestly say that I have never run across his particular dialect of English before in my life. If lucky, I maybe understood a total of ten words he said all day long. By the end of the day, his accent seemed a little like a mixture of Norwegian and Ukrainian. He was a wonderful fellow, though happy and kind-hearted with a tremendous sense of humor. He guided us through the school and talked to us during the breaks in the class schedule. He was also our daoyo for the lunch meal in a very chic hotel restaurant. More about that later. After our initial orientation meeting, some of us ventured out to find washrooms. Oh my God. They were close to the worst I've experienced to date. It's here that we met the first students of the day. Word spread quickly that we were on site, for we had no sooner left the lavatory when we were surrounded by dozens of middle school students, all wishing to practice their very few English words they knew. Hello, how are you? Where are you from? What is your QQ number? These massive crowds of preteen humanity followed each of us from classroom to balcony to staircase to landing to staircase to balcony to classroom. The school was semi-outdoors. There were no hallways, only concrete balconies which encircled the classrooms on each of the six floors of the school. The doorways to the classrooms were constructed of deteriorating wood painted green 32 years ago and touched up every 12 years or so since then. The big windows on the balcony sides of the classrooms had no glass in them, which allowed students to percolate freely in and out at will. As I was soon to find out, this was a good thing because it allowed for a pressure control for the overcrowded concrete shells in which the classes were held. The darkness of the school building didn't stop at the dilapidated green wooden doors, however. The only light in the rooms came from windows on the other side of the room. It was the first time I had actually experienced the effects of a black hole on matter around it. 
Faint remnants of electrical incandescent light were immediately inhaled into the depths of the concrete shell, as were wooden desks, scores of students and their books, pencils, jackets, boots, and school bags. At the front of the room was one of the original blackest of black blackboards, onto which no self-respecting piece of chalk could ever even hope to make a simple scratch. The noise level of the first classroom I walked into was rock concert-like in volume and type. It was at that point that I made as many mental notes to self as I could manage to abandon all lesson plans previously made and to never volunteer for anything like this again. That being said, the oxymoron started then and there. The students of this school were remarkable. They cheered and laughed at the end of every word, thought, sentence, line that I uttered. They listened when I asked them to. They stood, they sat, they got into line, they moved desks to clear a space in the middle of the room. They put the desks back, they got into a circle, they did the hokey pokey, they line danced and all this with pure joy, exuberance and all the enthusiasm and interest their little hearts and souls could muster. In short, they were all brilliant. The first class I taught contained 42 grade 7 students who took up temporary residence in 42 squawky wooden desks of a 1930s vintage. They loved the idea of learning about right feet and left feet and right hands and left hands moving in and out and eventually shaking all about. The crowning touch, though, was the movement of the whole self in and the whole self out and the whole self in, and when the time came for the shake it all about, the crowd went wild. There was next to uncontrollable excitement. I later paused to reflect on the fact that I was in the approximate geographic center of China, of all places, teaching the hokey pokey to a bunch of kids in a language they did not understand, and that I am never likely to see again in my life, and it all worked just fine. There was something a little bizarre and surreal about all of it. By the time we got to the electric slide line dance, there was no turning back. The students formed lines and maintained the integrity of those lines while stepping and vining and rocking and scuffing to the front and to the side and to the back and to the front again. We barely got the desk back in place when the bell rang and then the aftermath began. I was immediately surrounded by all 42 of the students and a few others from God only knows where, requesting my autograph, my email, my address, my phone number, my clothing, my QQ number, my soul, my firstborn, locks of my quickly graying hair and anything else that was entirely or partly evident or not. I felt like a rock star. I could do no wrong. I was on a roll. I did encore performances in two other classrooms, one which was six floors down, and the other back up six floors via some of the longest man-made staircases in China. My second class had 48 grade 8 students who were even more delightful than the first group. Again, the class ended with a lengthy autograph session which extended through the break and up the stairs and into the next classroom. My last class brought me to my senses in a big hurry. There were 54 students in the classroom. I was thankful that this was not my everyday job. The teachers that work here do so for one-tenth of what I make, and all with a longer day, fewer supplies, less support, and incomparable conditions. 
After signing the last 127 autographs, our group members were hustled into our getaway van, not unlike John, Paul, George, and Ringo in a hard day's night. We were scooted off to a very nice hotel and with a very glamorous restaurant on the second floor. Several to many other parties of people were also eating at this restaurant. As in the Chinese way of restaurant dining, each group of 5 to 20 people is escorted into a room with a large round table, complete with a thick-tempered glass Lazy Susan in the middle. Mr. Wong ordered for our group, and he did a wonderful job of selecting duck, head still on, sweet and sour fish to die for, mushroom soup, special fried tofu, lots of great veggies, and non-stop Coca-Cola. The dignitaries from our school and the number 18 middle school were in attendance at an adjoining table. As is the custom, they came over to our table several times with salutes of Baijiu, the white lightning of China, to congratulate and show appreciation for the job we had done. Two hours later, the Chinese teachers made their way back to their school for a final few hours of teaching, and we stumbled out of the restaurant and into our van for the ride back to a far greener and more sane teaching assignment here in Wuhan. Luckily, the school day was over by the time we returned, so we were able to go straight home to start a nice relaxing weekend. This experience will definitely be one to remember for me and for the others who made the trip. Thank you, John. The sun is shining through the window of our apartment, and my rainbow catcher is throwing colored circles of light around the room. Later today, we and 30 other teachers will go to Aloha, the only American restaurant in Wuhan. Every year they make lots of turkey and all the trimmings for the North Americans living here. It is usually very good, accompanied by pumpkin milkshakes and other traditional items that are hard to find here. I don't know if I ever celebrated American Thanksgiving when I lived anywhere else. It's funny how any Western event or holiday becomes important when one is far from home, in a different culture. Not sure where home is now. Maybe when we go back to Canada, I can start including the Chinese holidays too. I have been through a box of Kleenex this morning due to excessive sneezing. After taking copious amounts of vitamin C and avoiding using my hands to pick up the kids' used Kleenex, which they like to litter the classroom floors with, I have a cold. The air has been getting steadily colder every day. We now have heaters in classrooms, offices, and at home blasting out warm air, but sometimes the kids get too hot and open all the windows. The hallways are large open corridors of cold drafts, so not wearing a coat outside and sometimes inside the classrooms is unthinkable. John is growing a mustache. Those of you who know how I feel about this form of facial hair will imagine how distressed I am by this, but it is for a good cause. A lot of the male teachers are doing this to raise awareness for prostate cancer, so he has joined in. The term is Movember, 
as it is done for the month of November. So anyone that has seen a picture of him on Facebook, don't worry. He's not becoming an Ozark Mountain Daredevil, men from Earth. He will be clean-shaven the next time you see him. <laughs> 